You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. You may be seated and let me say good morning, church. It's good to see you and it is always good to be in the house of the Lord, I know our kids are excited that school is out, or mothers maybe not so much. We've already had to institute our chore jar. If you get in a fight or you're griping back and forth, you have to go pull a stick and do a chore. And I don't even think they made it 24 hours, and so we're already in summer mode. But man, for 20 weeks, back in January, we started walking through the book of Galatians. And today is kind of the final bookend on this series we were calling Don't Be Fooled. What I have loved about this series is that each and every week I am reminded of the truth that God accepts me not based on how well I fulfill his law, but on what Jesus Christ did in my place. And each and every week I was reminded that I am accepted by him on what Jesus did, not what I do. And this should, this should be a freeing and an exhilarating truth for us. That God accepts us. He looks favorably upon us. Not because we're so good, but because Jesus was so perfectly obedient. And that is the basis of our relationship with our Creator. So each and every morning that we wake up, we don't have to set out to make God like us. We don't have to perform in a way that God is good to us. We are fully known, we are fully accepted, and we are fully loved by God, totally based on what God or what Christ did in our place. And so the moment that we put our faith and trust in what Christ did, where he lived the life that we could never live, and he died the death that we deserved, that is what our reconciliation is based on. And nothing, absolutely nothing, I do could ever change that. But it is really hard to live, at least it is for me, to live in that reality. I mean, it's hard to reassure myself that God is not constantly looking at me and disappointed. It's hard to believe that I'm good with God. Because here's what is so strange, at least I have found, about being a believer. It's like the more mature you become in Christ, the less worthy you feel like you are to be His child. And it's like the more you see the beauty in what Christ did, it's like all of a sudden now you're more aware of every sin. It's like you feel worse than you did before you ever met Him. So this morning, I want us to listen to the truth and the conversation between Paul and the Galatian Christians. So Galatians chapter 6, find your way there. We're going to be walking through verses 11 through 18 that we read right before we begin this morning. So you're finding your way there. Do you remember the show, uh, Let's Make a Deal? It was that crazy show where people dressed up like you know, little Bo Peep and Superman or whatever they could find in the grandmother's closet. And they would pack this room. And I believe his name was Monty. Monty Dial or something like that. It, he was this host. And they would give you something. 
And then he would offer you, you could keep what you have. I don't know, maybe it, was a, it wouldn't be big screen TVs, you know, one of those big consoles. That, you know, it could be this, really in color now, or behind curtain number one. You could trade it all away, but you don't know what you would be doing. You could get a bass boat, or it could be a goat. I mean, you just didn't know what it was. And everybody's screaming at you, and it's that tension of, do I keep what I have, what I know, or do I gamble it all on what might be behind, maybe say, curtain number one? Well, Paul's going to do something kind of similar today, but what Paul is going to do, he's going to present them with a choice. He'll present us with a choice, but Paul's not going to hide everything. He is going to lay it all out on the table, all cards on the table, and he's going to say, this is your choice. He's going to say, behind curtain number one is something that's unimaginable. There's going to be total forgiveness for every sin you've committed or you will commit in total peace with your Creator for all eternity. That's what is behind curtain number one. But he's going to say, but in your hand, you kind of hold something of value too. You hold everything the world could offer you. Money, leisure, health, popularity, business success, spouse, children. You name it, you have it in your hands. But there's no forgiveness of your sins and there's no peace with God. And Paul's going to say, okay. What are you going to do? So let me ask us, what, what would we do? We hold everything that the world could offer, success, popularity, you know, leisure, whatever we think might make us happy, except no forgiveness and no peace. Would you trade it in? Would you trade everything to have total forgiveness and total peace? And, and I, I think in theory, we would say, yes, I, absolutely, that's what I want. We want to choose Christ. I, I think we would say that, but I think we also really desire all the other stuff too. All that the world could offer us. We kind of want, yes, give me the best of both worlds. But we can't have it both ways. We must choose. And so the challenge it's gonna, we're going to see from God's Word today is this. Live as though Christ is everything. And the world is nothing. Live as though Christ is absolutely everything to you. And the world is nothing. So let's pick up in the last part. The final warning and benediction of this great letter of Galatians. It begins in verse 11. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Now, it's a strange phrase, but here's what happened. Paul's probably been uh, saying this letter out loud, and a scribe has been recording it. But he gets to like this final section, and Paul just can't contain himself anymore. And he reaches out, and he grabs the quill, and he starts writing in his own handwriting, his own words. And in fact, he says, with what large letters I'm writing, it's like he's sending us an all-caps text. And that's what it is. He says, I am total serious about this. I'm putting everything in these final words. Will you listen? And this is what he's going to say. There's two different ways of living. And we've been seeing it all throughout this letter. Two different mindsets. And the choice 
is yours. And so he's going to put two choices for us. And I've called them, one is the me mindset. This is where it begins in verse 12. The first one, the me mindset. Let me read verses 12 and 13. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So here's what I'll show us here. I think Paul gives us three major identifiers of the me mindset. We, we would know this when we see it. In fact, sometimes this is us. So the first identifier of a me mindset is they want to protect their image. In verse 12, he says they want to make a good showing in their flesh. And that, that's what the Judaizers have been doing, and they're using the law, their list of religious activities, to protect their own image. They want to look good by doing what they were doing. They want a good image. They don't want to be thought of well in people's eyes. They were using their religious activities to set themselves up to look well. So notice what they were doing. They were forcing people, men, to be circumcised. Now, I don't think they were holding them down and saying, you better be still or this might end badly. But I think they were using every means possible. Probably guilt. Maybe fear. Maybe social pressures to get this person to fall in line. You know, we can do the same thing today. We have a certain way that we want people to act. Maybe our spouse, maybe our children, or whoever it might be. We can use guilt. We can use fear. We can manipulate people to get them to do what we want them to to do. And the Judaizers, that's exactly what they were doing. They wanted to hold the law up and they would say, yes, follow Jesus, but you must also conform to all of our Jewish ways. Then you're really a 100% Christian. And the last thing, let me get it sharp, and then you'll be fully accepted. But this me mindset, all they want to do is they really wanted to protect their image. They wanted to look good in other people's eyes. Look how good I am following the religious laws. Look how I'm going to all the festivals. So a me mindset, a me mindset is so consumed by how we look to other people. But the second thing he shows us, the me mindset, is they want to avoid persecution. So they want to look good, but they're really afraid. So look at verse 12. They're doing all this so that they may not be persecuted for the cross. So the Judaizers, they were afraid of what others might say or do, and they avoided the cross at all expense. They would, they would minimize it. They, they would push it to the side. They would promote other things so your eyes were taken off of the cross. So they not only wanted to preserve their image, they wanted to stay into people's good graces. They would do anything not to seem... Like, a, like an outcast. But you know what? We can do the same thing today. You know, we might get intimidated. We might be afraid of what people might say about us if we really, truly abandoned all for Christ. Because, you know, I think we want Christ when it's socially accepted, but 
we don't want to seem like a holy roller or a fanatic. And we can paralyze ourselves to say, I can feel the Spirit leading me to say, how can I pray for you? But we're so afraid of what people might say. We're afraid of inviting someone maybe into our home because we're afraid of what others might say. And we want to avoid persecution on all different levels and that's exactly what a mean mindset does. We want to protect our image. We want to look good in people's eyes. But man, I don't want anything that might put me out there that could bring any kind of persecution. So they want to protect their image. They want to avoid kind of seeming strange to people, what others might think. But the third mean mindset, a mean mindset is always a self-promoter. They're not going to wait for others to do it. They're going to promote themselves. Look at verses 12 through 13. It says at the very end of 13 that they will boast in your flesh. So they were concerned about maintaining the right image. I need to look good. I need people to accept me. But I don't want anything that might put me out there where I might not be accepted. I might be persecuted. But they would find every opportunity to brag about themselves. They desired for them to be circumcised. This is really what Paul is saying. The reason they want you to go through with this day procedure is really they want to do it so they could boast or brag or they might glory in your own flesh. They liked taking credit for the Gentile converts. Because this is what was happening. Paul is taking the gospel to places it has never gone. So the Jerusalem church is getting really nervous. So they're sending out these other missionaries going behind Paul, trying to make sure that no one leaves Judaism. Then I think what's happening, they're reporting back. They're coming back to these meetings and they're saying, hey, you know, 12 converts this month. And they're wanting them to see how great they are at winning people. And my mind went back. I, I had a kind of strange upbringing. I grew up in... Uh, a, a world, my dad was a pastor, and you know, this was this little bubble all I knew in rural Arkansas. And man, I, I never really knew how much fun there really was out there to do, and, and I would say good fun. So, my youth events would consist of going with my church together with a bunch of other youth groups in a church building, and they would do what's called roll call. And you would have to wait, your leader would stand up, and they would say, you know, so and so from this church, you would have to say how many people you brought. How many had their Bibles with them? How much offering they brought for that? And it was almost like this thing of, we have to promote ourselves to see who's better at all of these Christian rules. And so what's happening is they're wanting to set themselves up. They're wanting to be self-promoters. But I think this error is all too familiar for us. And we like to boast in our human achievements. And why that is? It's because we want to maintain the right image. We want to avoid persecution. So we want to set ourselves up. And if others are not going to do it, we will promote ourselves. But here's the truth. We can do a lot of religious activities. And none of it is God fooled by. I mean, He knows what is really in our hearts. And man, listen, I'll be the first to admit this. This right here, this is what I seem to struggle with week after week, whether it's at home or or it's when I'm interacting with people or standing up here each week because I go through those things in my head about 
Did I say or did I do the right thing in those people's eyes? Did they like the way that I did that? Were they, were they happy with this or that? Did they like this sermon? And all of these things are simply a me mindset. And Paul says it is pure evil. And so I think the point is to remind ourselves that really all of this comes from two major things. We love the praise and the attention of others. But we're fearful of opposition. And so the result is this. When you live under a me mindset, I feel this at times. When you live under a me mindset, you realize it is nothing but a huge burden. You're always going to be questioning, did I do enough? There'll always be a fear that men, are they, I don't really don't want them to see the real me. I have to protect that. You're always anxious and wondering if you've done enough to earn their approval. And you realize this me mindset is nothing but a huge burden. So Paul's going to challenge them to say, listen, live as though Christ is everything and the world is nothing. So now let's look at, that's what we hold. We hold a me mindset. But Paul's going to kind of throw back the curtain the second choice it's simply the Christ mindset it begins in verse 14 and the Christ mindset first thing to identify it boasts in the cross not in themselves look at verse 14 but far be it for me remember what they're boasting in they're boasting in their accomplishments all the things they've been able to do how many people they converted back to Judaism to follow the law but as for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this word boast, it means to glory in it. It, it means to make much of. It means actually to be consumed with something. And Paul says, you know what? You can boast in all of your human achievements. You can do that. You can boast in how many friends you have, your business success, how well your house is put to order, how great your kids are. But I will boast in nothing but the cross. And here's why this is so strange. Fashion is interesting. You know, I grew up born kind of early years in the 70s. And I don't know what it is, but I look through my pictures. And it's like all of a sudden, I'm in a vest in every picture. And I don't know why that was. The 70s was like vest everywhere. And my mom, so many pictures in this leather jacket with these long kind of hanging down tassels. But then my formative years, my really years I really remember were the 80s. Things like jams with the matching tank tops, spandex shorts, your tight rolled jeans, my hammer pants, my overalls with one flap undone. I threatened to wear my overalls today for that. Guys, we wore the mullets and spiked hair. And girls were nothing more than walking around fire hazards with all the hairspray to hold up the bangs. But of all the strange things that people have worn through the years, if the disciples were to join us, I think the thing that they would find most disturbing, it would not be any of the strange fashions. It would be the cross. Whether it's our earrings on our shirt, the pockets of our jeans, or some necklace. The cross Yes, it is the symbol of our faith, but for the first century believer, for the Christian, it was an instrument of cruel death. And the cross was a humiliating, a degrading 
display. In fact, the cross wasn't just to crucify you. It was to humiliate you. In fact, it was so horrific that a Roman could not be crucified. And if you were a polite Roman in mixed company, you would not even say the word crucifix. You might say, hang him on the unlucky tree. But here's what Paul is saying. Of all the things I could boast in, of all the things I could promote myself about, I choose only to boast in an instrument of cruel death. So the Judaizer, she says, you, you are ashamed of the cross. But Paul, he holds it as the thing that has the highest value for him. Paul saw this. Paul sees the cross as the thing that brought him everything he needed or could ever need. Because boasting in the cross, it implies that your place all of your confidence in what Christ did in his work for your salvation. And Paul says, that is all I need. Meaning you're not trusting your religious acts or your good deeds. So, so here, here's a Christ mindset. A Christ mindset is resting everything in what Jesus Christ has done. A Christ mindset believes that Jesus lived the life that you could not live and he died the death that you should die. A Christ mindset can say, because of the cross, the wrath of God will not be poured out on me. A Christ mindset can say, because of the cross, I'm united with Christ. Because of the cross, I get to enjoy every spiritual blessing. And we can think about what Christ did for us at the cross. And that very thought, that, that very thought of what he did should vanish all away anything that would be self-exalting. You know, I was 12 years old. My dad and my vacations often ended around the national uh, meeting for pastors that we were involved in or a revival that he was preaching. So, they packed us all into a little four-door Zephyr, little bitty sedan, me and my two brother, my brother and sister, and we drove for two and a half days and went to Niagara Falls. And so there's some things sometimes in your brain, it's just like you, you never can escape that moment. It's like you remember it just like it was then. So growing up in the rural mountains of Arkansas, you know, I could see, you know, 50 yards in front of me, and that was all I ever saw. But I remember standing at Niagara Falls. I'm standing on the Canadian side, and I'm at that point where the falls are, are just rushing over. And I remember how loud it was. It's almost like you could not hear. And you stand close to that rail, and just the power of that water coming over that fall, it's almost like you can feel it pulling you in. How ridiculous would it be, me as a 12-year-old boy, in my jams and matching tank top, to stand next to Niagara Falls and flex my muscles and say, look at how powerful I am. And I think what Paul is saying, that how crazy it is that we think that we could stand at the foot of the cross and say, look at how good I am. In fact, John Piper says, it is morally impossible to be proud at the foot of of the cross. And Paul realizes this. Paul has a Christ mindset. He says, listen, 
of the, all the things that I could boast in, the only thing that I will ever choose is to boast in the cross because it is the only thing that matters for this life and the life to come. And so I want us to see how Paul's going to say that the cross actually has power for now. So the second thing about a Christ mindset is, first of all, I will boast only in the cross. But he's going to say, a Christ mindset sees that we are dead to the world and the dead to us. Look at verses, the end of 14 into 15. By which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. So the cross, it has the power to free us from the world's bondage. And the world here, it doesn't mean, it means a, a system of like control or, or the nature of the age. What is it behind everything that makes everything work? So Paul is meaning here the world is the corruption, the meaningless, the, the hopelessness, the futility, the warped values, the despair that all aspects of life, that's the world. And Paul says a Christian in the world, they are dead to each other. The two, he says, you, you've parted ways. Now, it doesn't mean that the world doesn't affect us. And we know that. We know that it still is there. But the death blow has been dealt. And Paul says that was at the cross. But the world, it still has this lingering influence on us. But Paul's going to say, because of the cross, the cares of this world don't have to crush us. Because we have a different perspective than the world. We know that if God gave us Christ, He will give everything that we ultimately need. If He did not hold back His Son, He's not going to hold back what we need. And because of the cross, He's going to say, we can endure anything that this world might bring to us because we know this world is not our home. You know, this past couple of weeks, we have a family walking through a very difficult road. Their little two-year-old girl stopped breathing one day, and they took her to the hospital on to Dallas. They thought it might just be something as simple as an asthma issue. But the diagnosis came this past week of a baseball-sized tumor next to her heart that is uh, T-cell lymphoma. This young family, young two-year-old, but talking to that family, I say, you know what? We have no idea how we're going to get next to two and a half years of treatment. But this world is not our home. And we are going to trust that no matter what happens and what this world might bring to us, we will choose to say, God is good. So the cross not only humbles us before God, it humbles us before the world. And so notice that Paul says that the world has been crucified to me. I'm dead to the world, but the world is also dead to me. Meaning a Christ mindset is you can look at the world and you can actually be free from its constraints. Now I'm not talking about people. I'm not talking about the people that we interact with. We're to love people. We're to care for them. But what he is look, talking about is the system of this world where Satan right now is still ruling. But because of the cross, we can look at the things that the world says are valuable. And we can say that they are nothing but a waste of time. 
that there are more important things to pursue, namely Jesus. Because of the cross, we no longer have to live under what the world says is most important. Because here's the promise. If you truly follow Christ, and I'm talking abandoning all, the world will look at you and it will think, what a wasted life. But Paul knows and he believes something. He knows and believes that a Christ mindset can and will enjoy something that the me mindset cannot. Look at verse 16. Only the Christ mindset enjoys peace and mercy. It says in verse 16, But as for all who walk by this rule, meaning controlled and led by the Spirit, and mercy, peace and mercy be upon them and upon Israel of God. Meaning those that are walking, being controlled by the Spirit. They are boasting only in the cross. They will enjoy peace and mercy. Or better yet, it says peace and mercy. It will actually be upon you. It will come and it will cover you. So think about peace, harmony, freedom from worry. To live with harmony with your Creator. To live free of worry that He will not love or accept you. Or mercy, compassion, that loving kindness that never ends. To live under God's compassion and to have His loving kindness forever upon you. But I want you to notice that this is not a general conclusion. This isn't for everyone. Paul extends this blessing to a special group. Those who are walking by the rule of faith, not works. And that's only the Christ mindset gets to enjoy peace and mercy. Because a me mindset is going to be enslaved to the world, to fear, anxiety, to worry. Once again, that's why Paul is saying live and so Christ is everything, and the world is nothing. Because look at the conclusion, the final two words, final two verses of this book. For now on, let no one cause me trouble. Meaning, I pray that these words you're reading, that God will use them in your life, and I will hear nothing but good things that are happening. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Now Paul's going to go through many things, but at this point, just probably a few months before, he was stoned at Lystra. They thought he was dead, and he gets up and he walks back into town. So he probably has these bruises and these scars that are left from this stoning. And he says then, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit Brothers, amen. I mean, Christ, er, Paul has gone through all of this only a few months before. And I think Paul, with a smile on his face, says, It is all worth it, and I would do it again. And that's what it means to live as though Christ is everything. And he says, Listen, you could take everything from me. In fact, if I die, it's even better because I get to be with Jesus. So says, live as though Christ is everything and the world is nothing. So as we close up this book, I, I want to ask one final time. What at the core, what at the core is the reason that you are in right relationship with God? 
if the cross is just a help, but you have to complete your salvation with good works, hear Paul's warning. Don't be fooled. It is only trusting in the finished work of Christ that moves your destiny from a life not headed to heaven to one that is. None of us will be saved because we're perfect or even because we do enough good things. Nothing can earn God's approval for you by what you do. But the peace of God and the mercy of God are free gifts that Christ purchased for you. And so I urge you to come to the cross. And if you're there, I urge you to glory in it. But you know, our days are filled, filled with decisions. You know what? We might make maybe six major decisions through our life. And it's like every day, it's just one small decision after another. Whether they're big or whether they're small, we have a decision that we can make. How will I keep my children from killing each other this summer? How will I interact with that person that disrespects me? How will I forgive my spouse when they have hurt me deeply? How will I invite, will I invite that family over this summer for dinner? Will I reach out to that person that is hurting? Because each and every decision, as small as it might be, every decision is an opportunity to live as though Christ is everything and the world is nothing. So when you're faced with the decisions, then I hope we'll start seeing them as opportunities. That we'll ask ourselves, how, how can I live for Christ, that He is everything? How can I live as though He is everything in this moment right now? And if you do that, I promise you this, that you will begin to see how God is love and mercy will completely cover you. Let's pray.
thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.